You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. excited this morning to have a, a, a just a special, f- not friend, but friends uh, join us this morning. Um, Pastor Jack and Amy Schull are here with us, and, and, and Jack is, is the lead pastor of a church in Midtown Tucson, and uh, he's doing an amazing work there. God is using uh, that ministry mightily to reach a lot of people, but it's, they're reaching a lot of college students at, from the U of A. And uh, so give him a hand. Yeah, that's great. Give God a big hand for what he's doing. And so uh, Jack and Amy are, are just exciting people. They're, they're wonderful to be around. They, you can just feel the love of God. And uh, this is Jack's third time that he's been here, I think. Um, and we love having him back. Um, and so he's part of our covenant group. So there's five of us pastors that meet together. And we cry on each other's shoulders and say how rough it is sometimes. And then sometimes we just celebrate what God's doing. But God is there to strengthen us and to give us what we need. And we need people around us. Amen. I need pastors around me. And I'm glad that God has, has placed Jack around me. And so uh, just give him a big hand as he comes up and gives us this great message. Thank you, <clears throat> Thank you so much. And um, it is a delight to be back with you. And uh, I will echo uh, some things unsolicited. Just James has been a great friend and encourager uh, to me, and, and we love our pastors group. We get to get uh, together and pray every month. Um, so you got people praying for your church that don't go to your church. just want you to know that. And you got people that are celebrating your church who don't go to your church, but believe in your church. And friends, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of what God's doing in you and through you. Uh, the mission that God has in front of you to, to take this and continue to expand to reach more people, not just in this region, but maybe even through the Copper Corridor and things you guys have been talking about and dreaming about. And I'm just very excited for the kingdom work that, uh, that he's doing in and through your church. You have a very healthy and beautiful church. Just watch and mingle. It's just a great place. So if you're brand new, hey, this is a great place to be. And I'm uh, glad you're here. And if you are kind of new, well, so am I. So um, glad you're here. Take your Bibles. Go to Luke chapter 9. We'll get there in just a little bit. And today I want us to talk about this idea of deepening our faith journey with God and that a deepening faith is a dusty kind of faith. That probably doesn't make any sense right now, but hopefully 30 minutes from now, it'll kind of make a little bit more sense, that a deepening faith is a dusty kind of faith, because here's the reality. So maybe you're here, and this is your first time back in a church in a while, and I think it's awesome that you're investing in your spiritual journey to come, and I just encourage you to keep being a part of this place. It's a place that can help you grow some spiritual roots and really understand who Christ is and answer questions along the way, but... Um, A deepening faith really comes with this call that Jesus calls us to follow him. And it's this call that's challenging. And you're going to feel that. Uh, You're going to feel this challenge to go. It's not about negotiation. See, we live in a culture of negotiations. We negotiate and finagle and barter in a lot of different ways. How many of you are parents? You know you negotiate, right? Okay, listen. Listen. 
if you will read for 30 minutes, then you can have this much TV time, right? And we have this negotiation going on all the time. Or how many of you are, uh, you're married, <laughs> then you know that. Uh, you negotiate all the time, right? You're, it's just a part of the culture of which you've grown up. We live in a, a society that negotiates all the time. We have free agency, the NFL coming back, right? And all these people have moved teams because they negotiated better deals. Now, here's the interesting thing when it comes to our spiritual journey is when you read throughout the scriptures, and especially the New Testament, and people came to Jesus, and Jesus asked them to follow them, guess what? There was no negotiations. There was no bartering. There was no bargaining. There was no finagling. There was no selective commitment about it. Jesus wants all of you, period. He does. It's this challenge, and in the first hearing that you go, Gosh, I don't know if, if I could do that. I don't know if, if, if Jesus wants all of us, then is Jesus what he's really looking for? Is like the special ops religious team? Like, and I don't know if, if my spiritual credit score is high enough to make that team. I don't know if I've got enough gumption to get there. I don't know if I've got the ability. Like, I know myself. I know I fail so often. I know I slip up. And, I know all the, and so if that's what really what Jesus is looking for, Jack, I don't know if I can get there. But Jesus' invitation to follow after him has no negotiating room in it. And that's why it's challenging. And that's why if you've been walking with Jesus for a day or maybe you're just investigating him or you've been walking with him for 70 years, it's the same call. You come follow me. Because Jesus knows about all-in kind of commitment. It's the commitment that he has for you. It's the commitment that led him here and led him to the cross and to be resurrected again to prove that he went all in for you. That's what he calls us to. And it's a deep, challenging call. It's not something that's easy. And sometimes we feel like it's, well, that's got to be for the spiritually elite. I'll be content with just knowing about God. And I think the reality is God really desires for you to know him. And that comes with a cost. It comes with a commitment that you have to make. It comes with this idea, this invitation that we're saved by grace, yes, totally, forever, Jesus plus nothing. But at the same time, he's asking for everything from us. He's saying, look, this is about anyone. This is about inviting anyone into this journey. Now, we hear the word anyone and we go, well, okay, anyone? <laughs> I don't feel like I'm really anyone or I don't feel like anyone can follow Jesus. That doesn't. Have you seen the car commercials like where they pull up in the van and they just throw a person in there and they're like, anyone can get approved, right? And what is your instant thought? Pfft, no. Um, because you're like instantly you go into lawyer talk or like there's got to be fine print somewhere. There's something that not everyone can get approved, right? Yeah, there's, we don't like this idea of anyone, but Jesus comes along and begins changing things. Here's what he says. This conversation, one of the great conversations in the New Testament, this is what we read in, uh, in Luke chapter 9. So Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, and he asks this penetrating question. Hey, who do the crowds say I am? This is in verse 18, chapter 9. Once Jesus was praying in private, asked his disciples, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets from long ago. But then he asked this question, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Friends, that's the most penetrating question, I think, in all the New Testament. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a good 
prophet? Is he just a good miracle worker? Is he just a good teacher and instructor? Is he a nice humanitarian? Is he a good teacher? Or is he more? This is where Peter replies, no, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. That's who you are, Jesus. Jesus commends him. My father's revealed this to you. He goes on and he says, and then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Anyone who would come after me must take up his cross, deny himself and follow me. The interesting thing about this is that maybe one of your translations uses the word anyone. Anyone. Anyone can be a follower of Jesus. And that is a beautiful thing. Because in a first century world, people didn't feel that way. In fact, what they thought back then was that you had to be part of the spiritually elite. You had to be part of the religious special ops team in order to be in right with God and to be on and be able to have life with God because it was not for the ordinary average person. They just weren't good enough. They failed too much. There was too many things that kept them at a distance from God and so it certainly couldn't be for anyone. And Jesus comes along and says, no, anyone, anyone can be a follower of me. And he begins casting this net to say to everyone, see what you have to understand is Jesus was a rabbi of his day. In a rabbi of his day, in a, to get a, a context of where we're going, you have to understand that rabbis were kind of the rock stars of the day. You wanted to be a rabbi. You wanted to know a rabbi. They were the ones who had studied the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, studied the writings of the prophets, studied the Psalms. They knew the Old Testament incredibly well. And they were the ones that people looked up to and they wanted to be like. And so the schooling structure was put in place in the first century Jewish con culture and context that you wanted to be part of that. And so you studied. And so when you were young, just a little Jewish history, at six years old, you would go to Beth Sefer and you would go to school and you would study the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and you would study them well enough to be able to write and to read, but to recite and to be able to know. Like you would recite large portions of scripture by memory because you had to. This was part of the education system that was going on in the day because you were on a track that if you were good enough, you could maybe try to project yourself to be in the school of where a rabbi was and be tutored or be an apprentice underneath. That's where you wanted to go. And so from six to about 12 or 13, you were in the school and you worked hard. And then most of us in this room, after we finished that school, we probably didn't make the cut to go any further. And so what would you do? Well, you'd end up going back to maybe your father's trade or to uh, your mother's work and what they were part of. And so many of us would go back to being tradesmen. We'd be going back to being fishermen. We'd be going back to the, the trades of the day and where you would work and just part of your family and what had grown up. And that's where you would go. And that's what you would do. And that would probably be the rest of your life, the track you were on. But if you were smart enough, if you were intelligent enough, if you had a passion for Torah, if you had something burning inside of you and you had the ability, then you would go on to Beth Midrash 
and you begin to study under particular rabbis of the synagogue of the day, and you can learn more from them, and you would study more parts of scripture, and you would learn and become more and more educated. And if you had enough gumption and enough passion and enough behind you, you can maybe even begin to try to audition to be part of what's called the Talmud. And the Talmud were kind of the local apprentices of a local rabbi. And you would go up to the rabbi of the day and you would try to petition to see if you could be part of the Talmud. There were a lot of prerequisites for that. Anyone ever been to Harvard? Me neither. Maybe you have. That's awesome. Probably took a lot of prerequisites to go in there. It took a lot. You had to have a 4.0. You probably had to get a 1600 on your SAT, which I, I can't even count that high. But like, there's a lot of things that go into it that you had to be, and there was a lot of prerequisites that you had to measure up to even get an audition. And here's what would happen, is you would show up to a rabbi, and you would be trying to petition to become part of their Talmud. And what you'd want, in, in, in English, we get the word disciple from the word Talmud. And, and it's not just that I want to know what the rabbi knows. It would be deeper than that. It's, I want to be like the rabbi. So this was a severe audition. You would show up to the, to the rabbi and you would say, um, I, I, I would like to be part of your Talmud, part of your apprentice group that would follow you around. And if the rabbi didn't say no right away, because maybe he knew something about your family or knew something about you or heard whispers about you and your schooling and all that kind of stuff, if, you, if he felt like you were maybe good enough, he would invite you to follow them around. And here's how it would go you would follow the rabbi around. And then occasionally the rabbi would turn to you and say, um, how many times does the word Lord appear in Isaiah 55? Go. Anyone know? Me neither. You'd have to know. Or he would say, Psalm 119, long psalm, cite it, go. Oh, I know where it's at. Right? Like, this was on-the-job interview. Anyone ever had an on-the-job interview? Here's what you know with that. You're, it's tense. Why? Because you're on-the-job interview. Like, they're watching everything you do to see if you make the cut. And here's why. Because a rabbi's students reflect the rabbi's training. You were a reflection of your rabbi. And so you had to be good enough because this was the elite, this was the special ops spiritual team that you were a part of. And this is the way the system worked in the first century until a guy named Jesus shows up. And he goes through this and he becomes a rabbi, unconventional, mind you, homeless, mind you, but a rabbi nonetheless. And he goes for a stroll one day by the Sea of Galilee, 12 miles south of where the major school section would have been for that region. And he's walking along the shoreline. And can we just read what happens? Mark chapter 1. Here's what unfolds, right? So Jesus, walking along the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were what? Fishermen. Remember that. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
When he had gone a little further, he says to James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, who are in a boat preparing their nets, without delay, he called them, you come follow me. And they left their father in the boat with their hired men and followed him. Has that, any, has that bugged anyone ever when you've read that? Doesn't it seem like Jesus is just doing some kind of Jesus Jedi mind trick thing? Like, imagine you're at work tomorrow, okay? And someone walks in and says, hey, come follow me. <laughs> and you leave everything. And you just follow them. A, would you do that? Probably not, right? But Jesus, remember, is a rabbi. And all you've wanted to do as a young Jewish boy is to grow up to be part of the Talmud. And where are they? They're at the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because they're, because they didn't make the cut. They weren't good enough. They were ordinary. They were unschooled. They didn't have what it took in the system of the day to get where they ultimately wanted to go until Jesus the rabbi shows up and he says to them, come follow me. What he's saying in that moment is not only can you believe in me, but I, I believe you have what it takes to become like me, to not just know about me. I believe you have what it takes to become like me. What's fascinating about this is that was so counterculture to what was going on in the system of how things worked in the day. That's why they would leave everything. That's why they weren't hypnotized in this moment. Jesus the rabbi believed in them and said, I think you have what it takes. You come follow me. Anyone is welcome. And that is an amazing truth, that the gospel is available to anyone and to everyone, to say everyone is welcome here. Can you imagine the change that went? These same guys who were fishermen one day, just three, four, five years later, are standing before the Sanhedrin, the, the most political and religious, powerful party of the day, post-resurrection, and Peter stands up in front of them and says, you crucified the Lord. And he gives testimony that salvation is from no other name except the name of Jesus. And the Sanhedrin takes notice and says, these are unschooled, ordinary men who have been with Jesus. And they're blown away because these men have been changed by a rabbi who said, come follow me. It will cost you but it will change you, and I believe in you. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? I no longer call you servants, speaking to his disciples, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I've learned from the Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. Jesus goes on a mission to choose his people. Anyone means everyone. 
It means this idea that everyone is welcome. There are no longer any barriers of certain social classes, races, gender, or other qualifications that say you can't be part of this family of God. Those are all taken away. Jesus has done away. He says, look, this is for anyone and this is for everyone. The ground is level at the cross. There's no measuring here. Jesus does away with the qualifications to followers. And he got rid of the long list of prerequisites and did away with the standard application process that kept people at a distance from God. And friends, the church better do the same. To get rid of the things that keep people away from God and invite them and begin eliminating these qualifications, that's what Jesus did. And as he got rid of qualifications, he got rid of excuses. No longer can we hide behind excuses that, well, Jesus, I'd love to follow you, but I'm trying to grow my business and I just don't have the time. No, no, we can grow that and grow together. No, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? I got four kids. Bless you, okay? But you can raise your children with Jesus. We don't have excuses. Well, Jesus, you don't understand. I mess up too much. Yeah, I died for that. I got you. Jesus, you don't understand, I'm not good with words. I'm not good with, like, people are gonna ask me, like, where dinosaurs came from. I don't get it. (laughs) Jesus like, we'll figure it out. There's no more excuses to hide behind when Jesus gets rid of the qualifications and the standard application process. And he doesn't ask you to try to petition for him. He chooses you. And in that moment, he says, you, come, follow me. As he gets rid of those things, It doesn't give us an excuse to hide behind anything anymore. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter nine? Anyone who would come after me must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. See, this invitation to follow Jesus is for anyone, and it's for everyone. And because it's for everyone and anyone, there's no more excuses to hide behind. But in the same token, Because it's for anyone, it will cost you everything. That's the invitation. As challenging as that might feel, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And anyone can be a follower of me. But listen, it it will cost you everything. That's why they left their notes. That's why they left their nets and why they left their dad in the boat. There had to be a weird feeling for Zebedee, right? Your sons were just getting ready to get the nets ready for fishing, and all of a sudden they're walking down the shoreline with this Jesus. Well, what am I supposed to do now? (laughs) That's why they left everything. Because Jesus is worth following. Because he chooses us, and he calls us to walk after him. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is an everything kind of movement. Jesus went all in for you, and he's asking you to go all in for him. It's a challenge, yes. It's not always easy. But the greatest teacher and savior who's ever lived and ever will offers you the chance to become one of his students, to become one of his apprentices, where you can herald the call that anyone is welcome. Everyone, it's available to everyone, but it will cost you, but come follow me. So the question is, do you wanna go deeper? Are you willing to follow this rabbi? 
I wrote this, deeper faith always begins with your proximity over your potential. A deeper faith always begins with your proximity over your potential. Jesus doesn't look around and go, okay, you got potential, you can come. You, uh, that's, see, when the call is to anyone and everyone, then the potential isn't on you. The potential's on Jesus and what he can do in and through you. And so he says, this is about proximity. Follow me. Not read about me. Not know about me. Not research me on the internet. Follow me. You go where I go. You follow in step with me. God is more interested in your availability than your ability. He wants you to be available to him. I wrote this as the bottom line. It is our proximity to Jesus that will deepen our faith with Jesus. It's our proximity to Jesus that will deepen our faith with Jesus as we live in proximity to him. See, here's how following a rabbi worked in the first century. When you were part of the Talmud and uh, the rabbi would go to the store, guess where you went? Play along. The store, right. So if the rabbi went to another town, guess where you went? To the other town. If the rabbi went among the sick, guess where you went? If the rabbi were to go to the town of Oracle, guess where you went? If the rabbi went to the Copper Corridor, guess where you went? If the rabbi would stand in a place and face persecution, guess where you went? Right beside him. Wherever the rabbi went, you went. And that's the invitation from Jesus our rabbi is to follow with this proximity to him that will deepen our faith with him. I got the privilege of being a coach for uh, softball last spring, my daughter's first year uh, trying out softball, right? And uh, I grew up playing baseball, and I grew up with my son playing baseball, and I, I spent a lot of time on the baseball field. And you know what a baseball field has that a softball field doesn't? Grass. Yeah. Um, a softball field, anyone ever been on a softball field? It's like the whole infield's dirt, right? It's just all dirt. And so when I signed up, our daughter, and I said, hey, I'd be happy to help out as a dad, and then I get the email that I'm assistant coach, and I was like, ah, oh, that didn't work out like I thought it was going to work out. But I'm telling my people to go invest their lives, and so I better do the same, and so I did. And I showed up in the first practice with brand-new white tennis shoes, right? And then I realized 10 minutes in that, that's not good. Um, I don't know if you knew that or not, but like the softball field's really dirty, really dusty. And it got all over my shoes, and, and it wasn't like, I'm not a weirdo about shoes, but like it was all dirt and brown, and it was like gross. And so I went home and cleaned them off, realized I have an old pair of tennis shoes, so that's what I would take. And, and they would just sit in my Jeep throughout the week, and so you really didn't want to ride with me because they just stunk. But like these used to be kind of gray. Um, and they're just covered in dirt. Because every softball practice and every softball game running around and the kids coming around, it just dust was flying everywhere because I was close to it. I was on the field. I was in the game. I wasn't in the stands. And I was just there in the action, right? There was a rabbinical saying to the Talmud that a, a person would speak a blessing over them. And they would say, may the dust of your rabbi always be upon you.
May the dust of your rabbi always be upon you. May your proximity to Jesus deepen your faith with Jesus. May the dust of your rabbi always be upon you. As Jesus says, come follow me. This is a call to anyone, and it's a call to everyone. And because it's a call for everyone, there's no more excuses to hide behind. And yeah, it's a call to anyone, but it is a call for everything. It's a challenge. It's not easy. But it's an invitation to living life that you are meant to live. To have a relationship with God you are created to have. So friend, today, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, maybe like we said, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. How close are you? Can I just ask you that? Ask myself that? Because it's our proximity to Jesus that will deepen our faith with Jesus. Maybe you sit here and you've never even taken a first step to begin a relationship with Jesus. Then today is your day. Today's your day. Don't wait another day. Maybe this is your day. See, Jesus isn't looking for fans. Fans are enthusiastic admirers. I'm a fan of the Diamondbacks. I'm a, I'm a fan of other things. But that's all I am as a fan. Don't settle to just be a fan of Jesus, to know about, to know his stats. But come to know him. Follow him. Become a follower. It's a more challenging life but it's the best possible way to live. And so maybe today, if you've never become a follower of Jesus, you're like, oh, I just came to church today. Maybe today, God's been tugging on your heart. And I just wanna invite you to kind of turn the keys of the leadership of your life over to Jesus. And I'd love to pray with you if that's you today. And through this next song and this next rest of our service as we conclude, I just wanna invite you to take an honest assessment of where you are, knowing that it's our proximity to Jesus that will deepen our faith with him. So how are you doing in that? And ask God this week, would you help me to, to walk a little closer? May the dust of your rabbi always be upon you, friend. So Father, we pray today that if there's any here that have never placed their faith in you, pray that they would right now in the comfort of their own seat just say that, that's me. Maybe real simply, nothing special about those words. They would just surrender their heart to say, Jesus, I'm tired of living life my own way. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I know I'm broken. I know I've got a mess of sin in my life. Brokenness. I need your healing. I need you to be my savior, the leader of my life. Would you come into my life, Jesus? Lead me forward. Father, for each one here, would you help us assess these next few moments in the service and this week, you would kind of hound us a little bit. How are we doing in our proximity to you? Recognizing 
that it's that that will deepen our faith with you. Help us to stay close. Jesus, may the dust of your shoes and where you go and how you lead us, may it always be upon us. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.